Anybody nervous? Not yet. Good answer. Good answer. Good to see you guys this morning. Let's jump right into Matthew 16. I'm a little hot, I think, but I like it. I guess you guys are in control, so. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? So Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being, and now I say to you, that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. that a good word? Let me go back to one. I should have paused. I'll build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I love that. Love it. Love it. Because so for years, I thought the church was kind of like, well, I grew up in a church where we sang this old song called Hold the Fort. Hold the Fort, for I am coming. And uh, so the church, for a long time, had this hold the fort mentality. Like, we'll just get behind our stained glass, and if we don't, if we don't bug the devil too much, maybe he'll leave us alone. And we found out that's not true. He's not going to leave us alone, so we might as well make that sucker pay. Amen? Amen. Okay, all right. Some of you are here, some of you are not. Okay, maybe you'll be here in a minute. All right. So there's a lot of issues facing the church, capital C Church, today. And Ordinary Faith is a little C church. We're just a local body of believers. Well, not just, not just a local body, but we're a local body of believers. But the big C church, the church of eternity, the church all around the world, especially in the Western world, is facing some real challenges today. I mean, there are things that we have to address that we're addressing, and some things we're not doing well. Uh, some things we're not stating our, our, our opinion, our truth with love, and in some places we're not stating our truth at all. So the church is facing the homosexuality and the gender debate. Uh, church trying to address the issue of abortion in the world today. Women in leadership. The church has got a lot of confusion about what that needs to look like. The Holy Spirit and the gifts. What, what is the Holy Spirit doing today in the church and in the world? And so these are all these kind of discussions that are being had. What's the church's role in politics? What are we supposed to do? And then the issue of consumerism. The, the Western world is all about consuming its way into things, and there's no way to consume your way into discipleship. That's just not a possibility. And so we have all these issues that the big C church is facing today. But the Big C Church isn't my primary concern. I think those are discussions need to have. I obviously have more than one opinion on all of them, <laughs> which is weird but true. But Ordinary Faith has some concerns too, some things that I think we, are, um, that we need to look at and address. But we have some challenges, I guess. Some of those challenges are the fact that we believe the Bible. We'll talk about that in just a second. The Bible is a moral authority. But... We love people. I love people. I love, I love this. I don't know. The more you get to know God, the more you just love the people he created, even if they're not like you. And, but we live in a world that says, if you love me, then 
you, you don't say anything to me that I don't want to hear. You don't offend me. Uh, you don't tell me the truth. You just affirm me and everything I do as the person that I am. And so when you are a Bible-believing Christian and the Bible's your moral authority in life, you, you disagree on some things. You look at some things in this world, and, and now I'm in a society where when I love you and I think love is being honest, then now I'm considered a bigot and a hater just because of something called love. And I think it's a real problem because I live in a sin-broken world. A sin-broken world. In a world that wants me to say that they have no sin. And by doing that, hear me, hear me out. By saying that the world and that people have no sin, I am effectively taking away from them the most powerful, the only answer in the universe, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus. Because the gospel answers the sin problem. And the sin is the most fundamental problem of mankind, the most serious problem. Jesus came as the answer to that problem, and you enter into the solution of that problem, Jesus Christ, by faith. But if you have no sin, well, Jesus answered it best. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The gospel only works... In a scenario where you accept the fact that sin is your problem. Does that make sense? If you take that away, here's what happens. You, de you declare yourself innocent, and yet the guilt persists. There's no solution now for the guilt, and now you are burdened. Okay? So I, that's not good, not good enough for me. So, I believe in this crazy book called the Bible, and it is a trip. Sideways and upside down and right side up. It is a wild ride. But I believe the Bible is my, what I call a moral authority. And it's not my own word. I got it from somebody else. What, that, what I mean by that is that, that God's word and God's spirit, through his word, have authority over my life. I'm not the judge of the Bible. And so that's, that's the challenge that we're in today. And that's, that's how you know the difference between someone who's put the Bible in the place that I believe is where it should be. And by the way, that when I say an ordinary faith, I'm putting the Bible over human opinion, over my thoughts and so forth. The Bible is above me. It speaks into my life. My problems with the Bible are my problems. The Bible doesn't have problems. Okay? I do, but it doesn't. And yes, there are things in it that I struggle with, questions that I have about it as well. But here's where I come down on the thing. So it, if you, you can believe the Bible, but we have this issue of how we interpret it. And so I generally believe this. We interpret the Bible literally according to the form of literature that's within it. We use it to interpret itself. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And we put the Bible over our lives. I don't judge the Bible. When it says something I don't like, I don't say, I don't like it, I'm doing what I want. That makes me the authority of my life and not God's word, God through his word into my life. Does that make sense? There's another way to interpret the Bible that I disagree with and will not work for an ordinary faith. And that is when you take the Bible and you make it um, <clears throat> more symbolic. When you take the Bible and you add the writings of men around it and you decide what's true or not for you. What you've done at that point is you've made you your moral authority not to insult you much, but you ain't moral enough to be your authority. 
No matter what you think, okay? It's just, you're just not. God's word has to, to speak into our life. So, you understand where I'm coming from, right? Man, I put the Bible way up there. I do want to clarify, though. God has spoken through his word, and God is speaking through his word and his spirit today. This word is not dead. This is not a 2,000-year-old book. This is a, or a 3,500-year-old book. This is a living word. It is fresh today, fresh off the presses this morning, okay? Does that make sense? Some of you are like, I don't know if I understand that. It's okay. Ride with me. There's going to be a lot you probably won't understand by the time I'm done. It's no problem, okay? So, but you choose. Ordinary faith, that's one of our core beliefs, man. The Bible's got to be up there. Now, we often say, man, we want to we stay in your life as long as we can. We want to, to challenge you with, with these God concepts and God ideas. We want to be in the conversation. If you're on a journey of faith, we're with you, man. We're patient. We're not trying to, to convince you or fix you. We just want you to hang out with Jesus long enough, with us in Jesus' presence long enough, till you meet him. And then your world's going to get rocked and everything's going to change, okay? Amen. Amen. That's right. <laughs> I like that woo thing. Let's do that. Anyway, so... God's bigger than all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so we want to be through it. But we also understand we're not for everybody. Not everybody wants the Bible to have that place in their life. Okay? And uh, we're not judging that. We're just saying an ordinary faith puts God's word above human opinion. God doesn't change. Culture changes a lot. But God doesn't change. Okay? Good? You with me? Nobody walked out, so that's cool. We're good. So, Jesus has a plan going on, and that plan is this thing called the church, capital C, the big church, the eternal church. This is Jesus Christ's plan for, for reaching the world, redeeming the world, is the church. Now, this is important. We have to start here because the church has become optional, okay? And we live in a world where people think they can be the church without actually participating in a church, we live in a world where people think they can be the church without actually participating in a church, and that is not biblical, okay? That, if the Bible speaks into your life, the Bible says, be a part of a body, okay? You've got to participate with the church. It makes sense? You say, I don't know if I'm with you yet, Pastor. It's okay. I'll drag you along in just a second. Now, what about the church? How's this Jesus plan? First of all, Jesus, Jesus, who did I say? What was his name? Jesus. He builds the church. Jesus builds the church. I don't build the church. It's not my personality. It's not my weird sermons. It's not Michael's ability to connect with people or Steve's amazing talent with music and with teams. It's not the leadership team. It's not the coffee, although it's pretty good. <laughs> Jesus builds his church. Amen. He said that. Let me reread verse 18. I say to you, Peter, which means rock, on this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is the plan. This is Jesus' strategy for reaching the world through this, this little thing that started out little and it's not so little anymore. Greek word ekklesia, the called out ones. And if you look at Jesus' ministry, this is what he always did. He called people out. This is how he got the disciples. He walks up to them on a beach. They're fishing. And he calls them to follow him. He says, hey, I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. What, what kind of place must they have been in life for that kind of appeal to catch their hearts? But it did, and they stepped out, and Jesus called them out. And then they, will call, they called others out. And we still today, because Jesus is in us, is, are calling people out. Every life 
that is saved and forgiven is a life that has been called out by Christ and added to his bride. Jesus is coming back for his bride. Okay, don't misread, don't, don't get offended. Well, get over it if you do. He's not coming back for you. He's coming back for his bride. It's an honor to be a part of the bride. We're part of something. Amen? I'm not, I'm not a Lone Ranger. And in that last Lone Ranger movie was really bad anyway. You don't even want to be the Lone Ranger. But I'm just saying, I'm not a Lone Ranger. I'm not in this by myself. I'm part of something so much larger than me. The church, she's local, but she's, she's eternal. And so we have to keep that in mind. There is no other plan other than the bride, the church. Does that make sense? Okay? This is really important. So he builds the church up, and he also uses us to build the church. Isn't that cool? We are his hands and feet. Jesus touches people with your hands, with our hands. He, he does it with our brains, even. And I know some years ago, I didn't know God used my brain. Well, you weren't using it. He thought he would. <laughs> he uses your brains. He even uses your wallet. And you're using that a lot, but he's using it too to reach into people's lives. Jesus builds his church with our hands. Why? Why does God use us to build a bride? Because he loves us. This is so important. So many of us have this slave mentality of the Father, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. I'm excited about getting to that. But we are serving God like a slave. And, and we see our service to God as something that's hard and difficult and something we have to keep trying at. And, and that's not how this works at all. But God works through us, and he calls us into the harvest so that we get to participate with the Father as he loves as he forgives, as he heals, there we are because he's doing it with our hands, our touch, our prayers, our words. He loves us. He wants us to know what it's like to be in his family because his family heals the world. His family changes everything. So, yeah, God uses us. When Jesus left this earth, he left 11 leaders on the side of a mountain and several followers. And their job, when he left, well, first, the first order he gave them was, you wait. And, I, you know, let me take a second right there. You wait on, on the gift from the Father. You, we need to learn to wait on God. Now, I think you just misunderstood me there. Because, yes, we need to be patient on God's work in our half, but we need to wait on God kind of like you might get waited on at the restaurant this afternoon if you go to eat. Where that server comes up and begins to, to get your meal and those kind of things. We need to learn to wait on God like that. Now, what does that mean? Have you ever in your prayer time, I didn't realize until someone pointed this out to me some, some time ago that I did this. Have you ever just sit down and said, hey, Father, what you got going on today? And just waited? Now, I know you're sitting there going, well, my mind would start wandering. How do you know that's not the Father talking to you about your day, by the way? How do you know that all those thoughts that start rolling through your mind about what you have to do today, how do you know that's not God saying, hey, I know what you should do here? Do you know he's an expert in everything? Yes. He, knows, he knows HR. Michael, he knows HR. Father knows all about it. Of course, he's got a few options you don't. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he knows how to teach. 
He knows how to handle money. He knows how to do records. He knows it all. So when you want expert advice, wait on the Father. Anyway, he tells the disciples, wait here until you get received power from on high. And that's something we need to do because Jesus builds his church. He can work through us. Not only does he build the church, get ready. You ready? This is good. This is going to set you free. He'll fix it. He will fix it. You don't have to fix Jesus' church. Say amen. Amen. So stop trying, please. <laughs> Seriously. Right? Don't we do Aren't we always trying to fix this church or trying to fix the people in it? But you know what? Jesus knows all about broken people. He knows broken people better than anybody. And he knows exactly what they need to, to, to get better, to fix them. That's why we're not here to fix you. We, don't, we know the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. That we know. Everything in between there, he works all that stuff out because he knows how to fix things. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church. That's how he loves you. He loves the church and he loves you. He gave up his life for her to make her, his, her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. And he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. He knows how to fix things. A rich young ruler comes to him. His heart is set on greed. And he thinks he's really obeying God. And so Jesus calls him out and says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And that young man walked away. And yet he told an adulterous woman who was caught in the very act in John 8. He looked at her and said, go and sin no more. He told a lame man who had been let down through a hole in the roof. And, and who could not walk, instead of Jesus saying, get up and walk, the first thing Jesus says to him is, you are forgiven. The same thing to a woman who was in tears, brokenness, is washing his feet with her tears and her hair. And he turns to her and he says, you are forgiven. To the Pharisees, he looks at them, and if I could just kind of sum up a lot of things he said to them, he said, stop making it hard for my people to come home. And he, and he rebuked them in that sense because they would lock the door of the kingdom and not enter their, themselves. And Jesus, in some of their lives, he would speak and they would walk away. And some of them would get offended at him. Somehow they would try and fight against him. But some of them realized that Jesus rocks and sin stinks. And Jesus is better. Jesus knows how to fix people. And he does it in ways, I'm telling you, I would not have sent the rich young ruler away. I would have given him some tithe envelopes. <laughs> give him a ministry, a vision to give toward, you know? The Pharisees, I probably wouldn't have picked on those guys, but Jesus knows how to do all this stuff. He knows how to fix people. So here's what I want you to learn from this. Everyone else is not your problem. They might be your ministry, Hear me, they might be your ministry, but they're not your problem. Jesus can fix them. Let me give you a passage that means a lot to me. It's taken on a whole new shape for me in the last few years. As for me, Paul writes, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. And then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. 
Praying is really powerful to bring about the kingdom. Complaining, not so much. And even though we should definitely recognize false teaching and point to the truth, that does not mean we should destroy false teachers. We can speak the truth in love and point people in the right direction, but we sometimes we don't know where people are or how God is going to use them. God has used some really ungodly people in his story. Did you notice that? It wasn't like he had a choice, right? That was the only kind there were. Only his son was perfect, right? And God's used some people to accomplish his will. And so even though we should definitely point at the truth, we should never destroy a person. We might disagree with them, but we should never destroy them because one of two things is possible. One, we might actually, they might be ahead of us in the pursuit of Christ. They might know something about God that we're ignorant of yet. It could certainly be so. We should never try and destroy, I mean, if we do that, we are kind of helping Satan end something or destroy something and someone that God may be lifting up or God may be working through. So my point is, people aren't your problem, but they might be your ministry. That means you might still get to serve, you might serve them, but don't try to fix them because Jesus fixes people. Let him do his job, okay? Amen? Amen. Jesus will build it. Jesus will fix it, and she will not fail. Do you hear me? You cannot end the church. They've tried hundreds of times. Satan has tried to infiltrate it, crush it from the outside, crush it from the inside, corrupt it every way he could, and she still stands today. Every nation on earth that comes against the church goes down in flames ultimately. You understand? You can't beat her. When Jesus said all the powers of hell will not conquer it, that's exactly what he meant. This, is why, this should excite us to be a part of the church right now. Because you, as a part of the church, you're on the winning team. All right? Doesn't mean there aren't a few rough quarters, right? There's a few football fans out there that your team only wins in the fourth quarter, right? So you're used to three bad quarters, right? Not mentioning any names. I'm just saying that that's out there. <clears throat> Jesus says this, Paul says this of Jesus, that Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work and helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God's purpose in all this, Ephesians 3.10, was to use the church, listen to this, this is an awesome text, to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is using you to make Satan look bad. That's cool, because every one of you is this amazing story of grace. Every person in this room that trusts Christ Jesus has walked into faith is a miracle that has happened, okay? Right? And that's not all. And we'll get into this in the Supernatural series, but you're, a, you're also a miracle waiting to happen. Did you know that? We'll talk about that later. If I don't, do, if I don't drop these seeds out there, you might never come back. No, I'm just kidding. So, there's a war going on. Be on the right side of the war. Jesus' plan is the church. Be a part of one. If it's not this one, that's okay. There's some great churches in our town. We love them. And, but be a part. Don't just stand out on the edge looking in. Be a part of what Jesus is doing because Jesus is coming back for the church, all right? Okay, he's going to build her. He's going to fix her. Let him do that, and she will not fail. So, 
There you go. That's the church. Now what am I supposed to do with that? Glad you asked. What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to actually be the church? Because a lot of people say that. Well, I don't go to church, but I'm going to be the church. Or we preach that in sermons. Well, it's good that you go, but you've got to be the church out, into, out in the world that you're in. Okay? So I, I think, I know we preachers always do things in threes. It's because, you know, I don't know, Trinitarian, I don't know, something like that. So I'm going to say at least three things we need to do. And I'm sure there's like 500 or something that you'll stumble across on the journey. But just three things to think about today. How can I be the church? First, get established. Get established. Remember, if you're taking notes, that's pretty simple. Romans 12.1. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. You'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. If you have a way to highlight that word transform, you should do it. I'm going to come back to it. Into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When you come to Christ, when you place your faith in Christ, you are coming from the natural world into the eternal world. From the natural into the supernatural. From flesh into spirit. Okay? You are, as Jesus said, John 3, born again. Now think about when you were born. You remember? No, you don't. Just kidding. You know why you don't remember? You, did, you had a brain, but you didn't know how to use it yet. You had eyes. You didn't know how they worked yet. You, you had ability to smell and touch. You didn't know how to use any of those things yet. You had all of them. You were born with them, and yet it took you a season to learn how to use them. Well, welcome to the kingdom. You're a new creation, and you were born with spiritual eyes, spiritual ears. All those senses in the natural are mirrored in the supernatural. You have all those, but you don't know how to use them yet. You don't know how to live in the kingdom. You know the laws of the natural. You know the, the laws of gravity. You know all these kinds of things. But you don't know the laws of the kingdom yet and how things work under the new covenant. You've been changed. And the Christian life is learning how to use what you were born with. Okay, you with me? I'm not sure. I'm a little scared, Michael. Good. A little fear it can be healthy as soon as it turns into faith, right? So we learn to live now in this new life. Learn to live in righteousness. Learn to choose right over wrong, knowing that the power to accomplish right comes from the Spirit and not from ourselves. We learn that we need to uh, surrender to Jesus. We learn that we need to think like Jesus thinks. And as we learn these things, our minds begin to be transformed. Now back to that word transformed. Let God transform your minds. Exact same word for transformed was used to describe Jesus at his transfiguration. What was that? That was a moment when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. And for, for a, a moment, they got to see Jesus as he really was. With that fleshly nature paling in the brightness of the glory of who he was as a son of God. Okay? 
That's what it means to be transformed. God is transfiguring you. Why? Because he's transforming you to the image of his son, who is a son of God. Are you a son of God? Well, actually, yes, you are. And so God is transforming you through these things. And so as we learn these things, learn to lay down our lives, learn to surrender to him, learn what is true in the kingdom, learn that the choices we make, that there's a power that God has to enable us to walk in those righteous choices. The strength isn't yours. That's why you need to relax about you know, holiness and righteousness. The power to live holy and righteous lives comes from the Father, not from you. Okay? Does that make sense? You're all freaking out a little bit right now. I can see it. It's okay. It's all good. So that's why we've got to get established in um, the Word. And, I mean, get established in truth. And I feel like I just glanced over something and I lost my mind. Hang on. I don't carry it around much, and so when I have it, it's a weird thing. Just kidding. So I want to ask you a question about getting established. I want to, before we move forward, I want to ask you what's, what it's worth to you. What it's worth. Thank you, sister. What is it worth to get established in the truth? I ask that question because I live in this consumerized, is that the right word? Anyway, consumeristic world. And... um. We just don't have a lot of time to pursue any interest outside of our self-interest sometimes. And I just want to tell you, if you're going to get established, if you're ever going to learn how to live in what you have been given, what is the gift of Jesus Christ, you've got to make time for it. You really have to make time in your life to get established. And maybe that's as simple as taking a foundations class and getting involved in a small group. Maybe it's a deeper study. Uh, But you've got to start. You have to make time for this. If you're sitting there right now thinking, yeah, I'm just waiting for you guys to come up with the perfect thing at Ordinary Faith. You guys come up with the perfect thing, and and it has to work with my schedule. I have 13 seconds every Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4. And I need, when you hit that, it doesn't work that way. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to be rude or insensitive. I, I really, I, I love you. I want you to have love. But I just want you to understand that until you make time for Christ in your life, you're not going to experience very much Christ in your life. You're just not. I love the fact that we're here this morning. I love this. This encourages me and encourages me when I get to go to church and be with believers. I really want to build a stronger, encouraging environment as we move forward. I love that. But I'm going to tell you what, if this was all the faith I had, my spirit would be in sad shape. Why? How many of you eat one day a week? It's called daily bread for a reason, man. And so my, my personal practice, I have time every morning set aside to be in his word and spend time with my father. I, I, I like to add extra time on to just to hang out with father in my life just because he's so good. He's better than any movie you ever saw, better than any book you ever read, just being with father. He is a trip, man. Uh, I, I make time. I have a small group I go to. I have friends I meet with every week. I have an amazing wife who is way smarter than me. And uh, so we talk about stuff together all the time. That's kind of part of my walk. And I have these amazing kids that we, we get to talk about things all the time, about, about our Father, about God, about faith, about theology, about the Bible. And I just want to encourage you, if this is all you got going on, get more. Get more. Get established 
in the truth. Don't wait for the next convenient thing, okay? And, and if, I, if I can, I want to help, by the way. You know, that's my favorite thing to do is help people get established in the Word and help them see how the Bible applies to different things in their life. I love doing that. I love to, to pray with people. I love for Holy Spirit to show up. I love to pray for people when they're sick. I mean, all these kind of things. If I can help, Michael, Steve. Uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of folks here, actually, that, can, that would love to do that. Okay, so, so if you're going to be the church, you've got to get established first. Everybody wants to start out way up here, like, I don't know, preaching or some huge ministry. First, get your feet underneath you. Amen? Make sense? Okay, get established. Learn, learn what it means. Now, secondly, get equipped. Now, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, notice that these all have lowercase letters. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all, we all, everybody say we all. We all. That sounds good. It's like y'all, but we all, you know, it's like... Maybe we should say y'all. I don't know. Anyway, so we, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. Oh, that's a loaded phrase. That we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Amen. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Isn't that beautiful? That, yeah, it's God's Word. Oh, man. I just, this is what Jesus is doing right now. And by the way, he's talking about, yes, the big C church, but he's also, this is pointing into a little C church. This is us. We have everything we need. It's hard to believe. If you listen to uh, church leadership and some of the things that we talk about sometimes and all the needs that we pray over, God, we need help here, we need help there. And here Jesus is saying, you've got everything you need. Got all the gifts. They're there. And you know what? You are one of those gifts. You are. You are a gift from God to, to this body of believers. You are. You're supposed to exercise that gift. You're supposed to display that gift. And I love, I call these the functional gifts. I don't know that that's the best word to use, but I, I, when I look at these gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, apept gifts, I, I see so many different things there. First of all, I see those apostles as like the missionaries, the pioneers. By the way, every one of these has, a, has an equivalent in the, what we might call the secular world. But you've got to remember the Bible doesn't assume a secular and spiritual world. It just has a world, you know, a natural world and a supernatural world, but there's just a world in which you operate. And so some of you in this body right now are like the pioneers. You're always starting something, right? It gets really quiet right there. 
Some of you are the pioneers. You're always, some of you guys are the black and white. It's right or it's wrong. And if it's wrong, you're out of here. Those guys, any of those? You guys say anything like that. Some of you are the connectors. Oh, man, I, and it's funny. As a pastor, over the last several years, I've been able to kind of see the connectors are like, well, the evangelists, man. They, they'll come to Ordinary Faith. It's so funny. When we get, I know when we get a connector because they show up one Sunday and like 15 people show up the next, you know. They connect everybody. And we have several of those evangelist connectors here. Uh, then some of you are nurturing, man. You look at every situation. You're like, man, they just need some compassion. They need someone to hold them up and take care of them. And some of you are the teachers. Man, you, you love to share what you've learned, and you learn best by sharing what you've learned, and you love to see people get it. Now, here's the thing. All of you is equipped in one of these ways, by the way. There are a lot of spiritual gifts, but this is kind of a, a foundational thing. You might have a lot of other spiritual gifts, but you are generally looking at how to pioneer or to display truth or to connect people. All these kinds of things are going on. So we need to learn how to grow out of that, how to build those gifts that we've been given together. Jesus has put us together. We're all gifts to the church. This is how she's supposed to work. I, and I think one of the problems that the evangelical churches had, many churches have had for many years, is they've only had room for two of those five gifts. Only the pastors and teachers got a job, okay? Well, I think there's room for everybody, and I think we need everybody. We, even No matter how much trouble you stir up, I still think we need you. So what do you do? How do you get equipped here? Sometimes the answers sound the same. And so I'm going to give you some answers that sound the same, but these are such fundamental things, they, they just drive everything. How do you get equipped? One, get back in the Word. Start listening to it. Don't, and don't just read the Word, but, man, hear Papa's voice through His Word. Get in, learn to pray. It's... I, you know, I'm not going to, I want to take a minute and spend some time just talking about prayer, but let's, let's stay on track. Michael, stay on track, okay. Learn to pray. Learn to wait on God. Learn to wait on God. There's some gifts there for you. I don't know who needs to hear this, but I'm going to say it. There's some gifts there for you, learning to wait on your Father, to, to enter prayer, not with a bunch of requests, but just, Father, what's on your agenda today? What do you think? And I know you're like, I don't know what would happen. Try it. Maybe something weird would happen. Maybe something awesome would happen. Maybe nothing would happen. Try again. That's how you got your spouse, right? You try it again? Get some help. Get a, find a friend that you can talk to about spiritual things, that someone that you can begin to work out those thoughts in your head as you're discovering them in the Word. We need to do that. We need, that's, that's a gift in itself, that when we study the Word, we talk it out with somebody else. Uh, and then get busy on these kind of things. Step into it, okay? So get equipped, and then when you get equipped, do your thing. Do your thing. Do whatever God's laid on your heart. Do it for him. You apostles out there, you little missionaries, you pioneers. Now let me, let me, let me draw the corollary here between church and the world, by the way. You entrepreneurs, you guys who can start businesses and aren't terrified at the risk that that comes, or maybe you are, but you do it anyway, you, you've got a gift, a missionary gift on you, okay? 
You gotta, we got, the church has really got to wrap our head around this. It's not just enough for us to send missionaries around the world. We need to send them into our business community, too, and into the community services and into the nonprofits and all those kind of things. There need to be God followers in all of those places, bringing the goodness of God on those, which I'll come to in a minute, but I'm running out of time, so I've got to go a little faster. You prophets, you hear from God, and you share with, with other people what you hear. Build each other up. And so quick Click delineation. Old Testament prophecy was con- condemning because it was under the law, and that was the law's purpose. The law's purpose was never to save mankind. The law's purpose was to condemn it. And so you had the Old Testament prophet. The last one was John the Baptist, who spoke condemnation. Okay? So if your model for, for speaking uh, the truth that you learn is in the Old Testament, you need to get in the New Covenant now. Because the new covenant is building up, and there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, right? Romans chapter 8. And all these gifts were given to the church to build her up, okay? So that means even when you speak a truth that may not be the best truth or may, may be a painful truth, the purpose is to build up the body. Amen? You with me? You okay? Some of the prophets are going, I don't know, I really like slapping people. Um, I know, I hear you, it is fun, but don't know. Anyways. Moving right along. Evangelists, your connectors, connect with those people. Some of you are really, like in the business world, you're in sales or you're, you're, in the, you're really good at making connections throughout the community. You pastors, you love people. You love them so well. You nurture them. You shepherd them. You teachers, you keep pounding away at that word, the scripture, the things that you're learning, even if they're coming from other parts of your life. And you t- reteach those and bring God's voice into those. You see all these things. Learn what God's equipped you to do, and learn to do it. Be good at it, and do your thing for the king. I know it rhymed. I had to do it. I couldn't stop. Sounds like it'd be a great song. We need to do this. So get equipped, and then get engaged. What do I mean? Well, we are not the church just so that we can come together every Sunday behind our stained glass and give each other warm hugs. I like warm hugs. I've got the shape for the snowman thing. Jesus is building his church by using his church to build the church. Jesus is building the church by using his church to build the church. Okay? Amen? What happens is we start stepping into engaging, and the enemy sends a spirit of religion. Spirit of religion makes you proud, makes you start looking at the world like, man, why is a world, lost world acting so lost? I know it sounds stupid, but that's exactly what we think. And it causes us to get that hold the four mentality and hide behind our stained glass. Why does the enemy send this covert spirit to do that? Because he's terrified of you. He knows that in you is the seed of miracles. He knows that when you engage a community that doesn't have Jesus, they're going to start getting infected with Jesus. They're going to start meeting a God who loves them. This week, well, actually, I don't want to go into, I want to go into too much detail, but I was reminded again of how Satan loves to do things and blame God for them. 
And I'm always amazed at how people will live their lives and be completely oblivious to the goodness of God every day. Every day they have a job they get to go to, they have the health to go to it, they have food to eat, they're surrounded by a family. And every day God is good and God is good and God is good. And then that one day hits that the enemy sneaks in or bad choices on the side of a human are made and someone dies or someone's hurt or disease pops its head up. And in that moment, after years of never thinking about God, in that moment, all of a sudden, now God is to blame. Drives me crazy. You know why? Because my God is good. It's not God is good. And he's so faithful. And so the enemy wants to keep that goodness of God a secret from us. So, we aren't here for warm hugs. We're here to do two things. Build each other up, Hebrews 10, 24. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Man, we need, that we need the body because we're not lone rangers. It's, it's a great idea to stand alone, and there are times that you will have to stand alone in your faith, but we need the body to surround us and put us back together, especially after a season of standing alone, to, to support us. You know what I'm saying? We need that, so we need to build each other up. One of the cultures I'd love to develop is, a, is an I-C-N-U culture. I, think of the letters, I-C-N-U. But just a, it's, it's kind of a, a, a prophetic kind of thing where you pray for someone. Say I were to pray for Jason here, and I'm just at, I was just in my prayer time. He's on the front row, so I'm picking his name out here, and he's got a great beard, so there's that. And I'm praying for Jason, and all of a sudden, I just God just shows me something in his life, shows me some picture of Jason and him doing something. Now, normally what we would do is we're like, oh, well, that's cool. Thank you, Lord, for Jason, and we move on. But an I-C-N-U culture would be like, man, Man, Jason needs to know what God showed me. And I would tell him. I would go to him and say, Jason, I see in you this mighty warrior that God's raising up to impact men and to make an amazing family on this planet for, for his kingdom. You know, and I would just pour that into him and build him up. And some of you are sitting there going, well, that sounds a little bit weird. And it is because it's spiritual. Amen. It's not natural. We don't even live in a world where people, hard, people will hardly even walk up and affirm each other unless they're made to do it in some kind of conference or they just read a book. But in the kingdom, we're here to build each other up. That makes sense? But that's not all. That's one way we can get engaged by building each other up and encouraging each other. But we also need to display the goodness of God. The Bible says this in Romans 2.4, and I got a man, we got communion today, so... Don't worry, you're going to be out of here by two. Verse four. See, you know that. I know we're out of here by two. Don't you see, listen to this. Listen to this verse. Please listen to this verse. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His kindness. One translation, several translations translate the word kindness as the goodness. If you were to read the, the rest of that text in Romans 2, you would find out that the spirit, a judgmental spirit actually comes from unconfessed sin. That's where the spirit comes from. Now, what, the, what I'm trying to share with you is this. 
I, I come from an evangelical background, uh, evangelistic, I mean, to a fault. Uh, churches that were really concerned with how many people got saved and baptized, and that was pretty much the only litmus test there was. And so a lot of my ministry, I looked at things like, can I share the gospel there? I, if we can't share the gospel, I'm not doing it. If I can't proclaim the, you know, the four spiritual laws or, or the good news, bad news, if I can't find a way to do it in it, I'm just not even going to be involved. And then I stumbled across this verse. It's the goodness of God. Now, I'm not preaching a social justice gospel. What I am preaching, though, is a, 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 an attitude and a heart of goodness that establishes a foundation from which we can share the good news about Jesus Christ. You see, God is good. He's good all the time. God's good. And so we could, we could start to look at our community with a different lens, Rather than looking for a place to preach the gospel, everybody wants to preach and nobody wants to listen, by the way. That's just free. Rather than looking for a place to preach the gospel, we should be looking for places to display the goodness of our Father. Why? Because this is the goodness that leads people to repentance. What might this look like? I am so glad you asked. And here we're running out of time and you asked me that question. So good. Thank you. <laughs> What if you drove home today and you drove past a neighborhood? You know, everybody has that neighborhood they drive past that you, it's just kind of a cruddy neighborhood. You know, you're like, I don't want to know anyone who lives in that neighborhood, you know? Like that. But where I grew up, there was the other side of the tracks, depending on which side of the tracks you lived on, you know? And so, you ever have a neighborhood like that? What if a group of people, small group or a large group or an entire church said, you know what? We're going to fix that neighborhood. We're going to go down that street we're going to paint every house, check out the roofs, do the lawns, and we're going to make that street look beautiful. Why? Because God is good. And we want people to know that God is good. Now you're saying, like, what good would that do? How would that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here I am. I've grown up in a, part of, in, a, in a kind of life that's harsh. I don't have a good opinion of God. I've lost someone I care about, and I blame God for it. And here's this nut job in my front yard mowing it. And it hasn't been mowed in three years. And it's uh, really just dead weeds. And he's out there trimming it up, painting the fence, and singing the whole time he's doing it. I want to know what is wrong with that dude. <laughs> right? And what's wrong with that dude? This guy named Jesus Christ. Didn't Jesus say that they would know us by our love? He, he said they'd know you by your love for each other first, so we probably should work on that. <laughs> But it knows my love. There's a lot of things that we could do. A couple of things that are on my heart. I really would love to see a, a couple of teams form, either part of Ordinary Faith or in the community. One, for our senior citizens. My father has been diagnosed with dementia. And I have realized now how, my, how I, being 1,400 miles away, I need help keeping an eye on my dad. And so I realized as I was talking to my parents what was going on, and I realized, man, that's something our community needs. We need people to keep their hearts and minds focused on our senior citizens, on our widows, those kind of things. We need some people who that's their heart. And I can't do all of that. I can sure train it. I can equip it. I can pray over it. I can help it. But I can't do it. Okay? Another team is, we got this amazing community that we're surrounded by that has all kinds of amazing entities already here meeting needs. And they just need more volunteers and more money, you know? And so I need a connection between ordinary faith and those things. Those are a couple things that we need.
We have small groups that can make a huge difference. Like I said, fixing the neighborhood, those kinds of things. We just need opportunities to demonstrate the goodness of God. Why? Well, it's God's heart, man. He just loves to make things right. And two, it would give us a platform to share the gospel. If we can't share it in word, at least we can share it in heart. Do you realize that you give off an atmosphere no matter where you go, right? You, you know that your spirit, spirit of Jesus is in you. You change the room when you walk in it just because Jesus is in you. You know that, right? And so we need to be out there doing it. That, we need to get engaged in this world that we're in. And, and I, the last word I'll say is just we need to do things we can be consistent at. But I'm not going to break that down too far because I am over. And I want us to do something before we leave. Today is our second Sunday, and we like to have communion together. We do this because of the sacrifice Jesus Christ gave for us. Today, though, and, and I can't change the format today because we don't have the tools. I kind of wish I could just for today. Normally, we come, um, we come down these middle aisles and grab our uh, wafer, cracker, I don't know what to call them, <laughs> the bread, and dip it in the wine and then take it in groups of two, three, five, whatever, and do it as families or so forth. Today would be a great day. I wish we could just do this as the body and just together take that wafer. But I don't, I don't have a way to set that up. But you can do it in your mind. We can today, as we share communion, we can realize today communion is not me. Today communion is us. So I'm going to pray over that communion. When I'm done, uh, the music's going to start. I'm going to ask you to stand. And then we're going to come through and we're going to take communion together. You can continue to pray with someone. You can pray for this community. You can pray for the things I mentioned today, but you can also pray. Maybe there's things on your heart too. And you can pray for those. But today, this is ordinary faith. This body coming together, sharing the sacrifice of Jesus, the gospel and symbol together, okay? Father, thank you. So good. You're so good. And today you're good, and you're good every day. You're good every moment. You were, this morning we got up and there was this fresh bread from heaven that was ready for us. We, didn't, we don't always know it's there. We don't always partake because of our busy minds and lives, but today we, we got a fresh word. So Lord, I pray as we come forward that you would unite our hearts. You pull this body together. That you help the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. That you help them connect through communion, through the shared body of Christ, through the knowledge that Jesus Christ lives in all of us. That we don't need God to come down because God is here. We just need to see through these spiritual eyes that we have. And Lord, let us come together and in the body of Christ, commune together in Christ. And enjoy our Father through Christ, who is the representation, the clear representation of our Father. I pray that you bless this communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, center aisles, and circle back around like that. I hope that makes sense.